Hey guys, welcome to the Abe Summer Series, a nine episode series dedicated to energy and recovery. I'm your host, Paula Glover, President and CEO of the American Association of Blacks and Energy. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. For all things Abe, visit us at aabe.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's topic is energy security in times of crisis. Energy infrastructure and cybersecurity threats um, in particular, what we're gonna be focusing on. And is the nation's energy supply secure and are infrastructure assets at risk at times of crisis? Our guests are first, Mr. Todd Hillman, Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer of MISO. Todd is no stranger to the association and we're really thrilled to have him with us today. He is the Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for MISO, where he leads all aspects of the Regional Transmission Organization's customer and external affairs activities. <clears throat> Todd and his team are responsible for delivering MISO's commitment to a quality experience for members, stakeholders, and employees. His team guides stakeholder affairs, corporate communications, and media relations. Todd is a veteran customer and business development and origination executive and leader in corporate strategy, project coordination, customer management. He also oversees the success, he's actually, excuse me, he oversaw the successful integration and introduction of the energy system across Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas, the largest integration in RTO history. Todd is vice chairman of the Southeast Reliability Corps, CERC, and a board member of the Gulf Coast Power Association. Our next speaker is Mr. Tobias Whitney, Vice President, Energy Security Solutions, Fortress Information Security. Tobias leads sales and marketing as the VP of Energy Security Solutions. He's a recognized leader in control system security solutions with over 20 years of critical infrastructure security experience, excuse me, which includes founding the security practice at Burns and McDonnell with a focus on regulatory compliance, supply chain and cloud security. Most recently, he spent two years as technical executive at the Electric Power Research Institute, evaluating risk in supply chain cybersecurity for utilities, developing solutions to address security architecture for utility cloud-based solutions, as well as researching grid edge technologies, such as electric vehicle charging and distributed energy infrastructure. He spent six years at NERC, where he led a team that helped deliver CIPv5 cybersecurity standards, and hopefully he will explain to us what that is. He evaluated compliance across the power utility industry and worked with the utilities to ensure effective adoption. This experience uniquely positioned him to help Fortress and its customers adapt to changing security and compliance requirements. Tobias has been an active participant of industry working groups and standards development activities. He holds a BS in Business and Public Administration from the University of Missouri and an MBA from Washington University, St. Louis. And last but not least, our final panelist is Mr. Mark Clough, Vice President, Safety and Operational Excellence at Williams. Mark is responsible for leading several multifunctional groups, including process, employee and contractor safety, security, pipeline safety, integrity, GIS, facility asset management, and operational risk teams. He joined Williams in 2005 as an operational excellence leader. Prior to Williams, he has worked as a senior operations leader for DuPont. 
He also worked as a capital projects leader for ExxonMobil. Mark is a chemical engineer by training with an emphasis on operations management from Brigham Young University. Please welcome, join me in welcoming these great panelists. Now, just a couple of housekeeping. If you have a question, I encourage you to put it in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen. So at the bottom, you will see a Q&A box. You'll also see a chat box. Please put your questions in Q&A, not in the chat box. If you put your questions in the chat box, um, we are going to ask you to move them over to Q&A. That way we can see your questions. And as we have time, we will ask those questions to our speakers. You do not have to wait until the end to ask your questions. You can ask them at any time. So let's get started. Todd, Mark, Tobias, welcome. We're really happy to have you. And I'm going to ask you to give me one moment with my technology. I want to make sure that I have the questions up. So let's start, and in, any one of you can start, but from your own perspectives, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the difference between reliability, resiliency, and security, and where cybersecurity fits in that entire narrative. Um, Mark, since I see you first, I'm gonna actually ask you to answer first, and then we'll move over to Todd and then Tobias. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, <clears throat> so good, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to be here today. So if you look at reliability, resiliency, and security, as well as where does cybersecurity fit, you know, the way I look at energy reliability is really uh, the reliability of service that we give to our customers. And uh, it's very customer focused, and uh, as well as to our stakeholders. You know, resiliency, I see, is as we run into challenges or issues, uh, how do we respond to that? How do we overcome those, those uh, challenges or issues, you know, whether it be reliability issues or whether it be safety issues or, you know, business related challenges, how resilient we are to, to overcome those things. Or if you take the current situation with COVID, you know, how are we working through that to stay resilient as a company, which is really a challenge for, for many of us in this, uh, this time. And then security, you know, really is security for us at Williams applies to both physical security as well as cyber security. And uh, so cyber security fits into that, a very crucial part of running our business, um, but it is different, clearly different than physical security. And both are managed very carefully, uh, but very differently as well. Thank you. Mr. Hillman. Mr. Hillman, my dad's here. I didn't know he was showing up today. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Well, good afternoon, Paul. Thank you so much. And Abe, thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess I'll answer the question a different way is that I, th I think they're actually all interconnected. I think they're all part of business continuity as we think about it today. The real interesting part, and Mark made a great point about it, this being a customer thing, it's also an employee thing, um, where in our business, think of huge infrastructure, you, you sometimes can't pick and say, well, how do I fit into making a difference on resiliency or making a difference on reliability? Reliability. If you're in the control room, it's easy. If you're in accounting, it's not that easy to do. But when you get to cyber, everybody's got a role to play there. So that's where I really see the big difference is, you know, you can bring a thumb drive into work and the next thing you know, you've impacted your business. You've impacted and that has a ripple effect that can go in our case with 15 states and 42 million people that can have a huge impact. So I, I, it's, it's terrible to say, but cybersecurity is different in the sense that everybody should have a very 
very good idea about how they can impact the cyber systems. Thanks. Tobias, you're our cyber expert. Share with us what your <laughs> okay. thinking is. Thank you, Paula. And again, appreciate the chance to uh, speak in front of Abe, in front of everyone here. Uh, security cuts across all. Just, just think about if, if you have um, a security issue that impacts a major generation uh, facility or a substation, uh, could that impact reliability? Without question, without question. If you have a bunch of relays that misoperate or you have an energy management system that ultimately uh, you can't control and, and some bad guy is opening and closing breakers that you, don't, can't, that you can't see and they're not physically in the control room from you, uh, with you, that's a, that's a cybersecurity issue that can have a very obvious and direct impact on cybersecurity. From a resilient, resiliency perspective as well, we, also, we often look at reliability as if it is separate from resiliency. Uh, given my background, I spent, like I said, a little bit over six years uh, with NERC. We looked at resiliency as, as the same way that you look at reliability. You can't have one without the other. And given that cybersecurity is a key component of both, it's hard to look at cybersecurity without seeing the, the total impact that you could possibly have on the grid and also trying to get the grid back up and running do, um, based on the cybersecurity incident. Thank you. So let's, let's stick with you, Tobias, and talk a little bit more about cyber and, and vulnerabilities, right? So for the last four months, um, many of us have been sheltered in place. Some will say we've been locked down, however you want to describe it, as a result of um, the pandemic. Um, and so the question I have for you is this, right? We know that outside forces are always trying to probe and find areas of our infrastructure that are weak, that are vulnerable, that they can kind of come in. Um, have we seen an increase in that kind of probing over the last four months? Um, and if we have, who primarily has been kind of doing that probing and looking for those vulnerabilities? Well, uh, if you look at the grid in the entirety, if you look at you know, bulk power system from an aggregate perspective, uh, the risk that we have from the cybersecurity now, probably a little bit, a little bit different than what we would see maybe 10 years ago. You know, 10 years ago, we had concerns of, you know, script kiddies or individual hackers or electro-civil diso disobedience groups that were focusing on, you know, doing basic you know, hijinks, uh, different things that wouldn't necessarily be a potential significant risk on the grid. Now, we're starting to see a little bit of a shift. We're not worried so much about those individual hackers or those individuals that, that may have some nefarious goal to, to take down the grid. Now, they're out there. Don't get me wrong. That's still a concern. But the bigger concern is more along the lines of hostile nation states or hostile uh, peer uh, governments that are at the level from a technology sophistication perspective that we are here in the U.S., uh, so there's you know, four major countries uh, that, that generally that most folks know within, within our circles that, uh, that we're concerned about. Uh, I'll probably name them later. I won't name them now. But uh, there's four that work that if you see, you know, um, products being sourced from those countries, we may have to look at our supply chain processes. If you see uh, network traffic that emanates from those countries, we might change our firewall rules and our intrusion detection monitoring processes. Uh, so the, quite, the issue is, is not so much um, what we're seeing in the private sphere or some of the things that are classified. Obviously, we'll get into any of that. But the concern is risk. What could one of these nation states do 
in an adversarial way that can disrupt our grid that can then cause a cascading issue to other critical infrastructures that we have, such as critical facilities, military facilities and the like. So I'll, I'll pause there. That's, that's really what we're concerned with nowadays. Okay, thank you so much. Um, Mark, do you have something that you, you'd like to add in terms of what are you seeing at Williams? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, we, we haven't seen much impact on the physical security side. However, on the cyber side, uh, we have seen an increase in activity. And, you know, we're really working and focused on five areas as part of cybersecurity. One is really around educating and uh, really training our employees. Uh, because as it was mentioned earlier by Todd and Tobias, really getting the awareness up for our employees, particularly around phishing and social engineering. And then uh, other areas that we're working on are, you know, securing more secure industrial control systems, making sure that we have the right segmentation on our networks uh, and data centers, and then also looking at third-party compromise as well. So really working in those five areas to strengthen our systems around that. Thank you. Todd? Yeah, I, by the way, Tobias, hijinks. I haven't heard that word in a while. So I wrote it down. I'm going to start using it. If it's not in my calendar of the day words, I'm going to add it for sure. Um, I, I think the reality here is we haven't seen an increase from MISO's perspective um, in the probing and the cyber. That's always been um, pretty strong, but we've seen a lot more fishing going on. Um, we do a pretty aggressive phishing campaign here because that's one of the main ways that folks can get access to your systems through those lower non-critical systems that can actually nest and become critical systems. Um, you know, so we do phishing campaigns here that are very aggressive. Um, and we actually have a whole department that is focused on that training and education around things like phishing and, and social engineering. So we've seen a big increase in phishing going on, I think simply because a lot more people are home a lot more people are at their computers than, than normal. Um, there's not that much interaction between people at the office. And so you're kind of in a, in a bubble now. And, and unfortunately, people have realized that. So you'll see a lot of shopping scams and other scams that are designed to put programs onto your system um, to try and get further into your systems, uh, both for financial gain and, and really just to, to muck up the works. So um, that's what we've seen more of here at MISO in the last couple of months. So Todd, I want to I want to follow up um, with you first on something that you just said, which is that there are a lot of folks who are at home now, um, and so I'd love to hear from all of you of how has that changed the dynamic in terms of how you think about securing your systems when you have employees who are working from home, who may have various levels of security in terms of access to their own computers. Some may have a lot of security um, or software to, to secure their system, but some may have nothing at all. And how how do you guys? managing control for that? And can you, quite frankly? You know, I, I think what we did is we, we figured out pretty quickly once the, the COVID hit and we figured out that, you know, we have to get the infrastructure here at MISO secure because that's where everybody's going to be coming into. So we had to make sure that the protections were robust from a MISO perspective. So yes, you're going to be entering from a whole lot of different places, a whole lot of new places. Um, but we, we really kind of circled the wagons internally and make sure we were protecting the same critical internal systems. Um, but at the same time, I've seen some silver linings there, right? So we did a VPN test very early on for 900 of our employees and 400 of our contractors. 
And we found that that system was able to maintain it and handle it. And so from there, we've actually made changes and implementations using tools we had. So Microsoft Teams has be exploded for us as an organization. Um, we were experimenting with it and it was in a pilot phase and we were immediately shoved into that to say, okay, now Teams is going to be a primary tool. Um, so VPN, Teams, a lot more face-to-face -face video, um, just to make sure that we're doing everything we can on our end. The primary frustration we get from our employees is they're just on it a lot more. Um, so we're also focusing on the human aspect of that, which is all of us are working longer because our commute went from 30 or 45 minutes to 160 feet from the bedroom to the kitchen to the my great office, which is in our laundry room. Um, and, uh, you know, and so now you've got that part of it, too. So we're talking to our employees a lot about mental fatigue, because when mental fatigue happens, that's when you forget to do the right VPN access. That's when you forget that you've stayed logged on overnight and given people the opportunity to get into your systems and be uh, and have some hijinks going on. It's all about hijinks, Paula. At the it's all about the hijinks. That's <laughs> hey, going to be my new word, too. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, I was just going to add to what uh, Todd said. You know, I think, I think this opportunity, even though it's been a challenge, it's also been a chance to really test our networking systems and to find, you know, where there are vulnerabilities or instabilities and really work to, uh, to improve those with VPN tests and other, you know, cybersecurity uh, protections. And so it's been really a learning opportunity to strengthen our systems overall. Um, Tobias, did you want to add something or I'll ask another question? Um, I, I do want to add a, a bit to that. I'm not, not sure okay. if I will say something completely different and drastic from what was already, already mentioned, but I would say this, um, you know, it's, it's been um, this COVID situation, I think has stressed a lot of processes that we, we have typically assumed within our industry are just normal commonplace, you know, to always have people on staff physically, um, within their you know, operations facility, within certain roles within your organization. Now, um, we have a lot more people working remotely. And I would say this is one of the rare times that we can point to, at least in you know, my 20 year uh, experiences where we've had so many remote workers working from um, obviously from home. But have you thought about it, unless from the, from the standpoint of command and control functions being potentially um, being more accessible from, from remote, remote employees? I think that's probably one of the biggest bigger risks that we have now with the COVID-19 challenge is that, you know, for the most part, those command and control functions had very limited remote access into very limited remote visibility and things that had some ultimate impact to the grid. But now with COVID-19, I think what we're seeing is we need to strengthen those systems, as was mentioned before, but we need to spend a little bit more time making sure that now that we're in this circumstance, do we really have the robust controls necessary to perform those real-time command and control functions from the remote perspective. Thank you, Todd. Um, so I'm going to shift just a little bit. You know, one of the things that has occurred to me over the last several months since we've, you know, been on lockdown, um, and as I've watched the news, there are two words that I hear more than I ever thought I would, and that's supply chain. Um, whether you hear news reporters talking about the shift in the economy or how we're going to regrow, restart the economy, supply chain seems to be a big issue um, that many of us, I think, probably hadn't paid as much attention to prior to this period of time. 
I mean, over the last couple of weeks with our panelists, they've also talked about issues around supplier chain. So I've got a two-part question for you guys. Um, the first is, you know, if you can share with us, like what percentage of our energy infrastructure right now is dependent on foreign supply chain? Um, and did COVID-19 kind of expose some vulnerabilities in that, excuse me, did COVID-19 expose some vulnerabilities um, in the supply chain that could impact our energy security? So that's kind of part one of the question. Um, and then part two is really, are there some cybersecurity considerations that we should be thinking about as it relates to supply chain? And if there are, what are they? And I will allow any one of you great minds to take that one first. Let me, um, let, let, me, let me try to give that a, a shot first. So a okay. um, uh, little bit of background on, on myself and Fortress. Uh, you know, our company is focused on delivering supplier solutions, supply chain security solutions, both vendors uh, and asset owners and operators. So uh, COVID-19 is just unfortunately the wrong kind of icing on the cake. Okay? The supply chain challenge has been a real challenge uh, even well before uh, the COVID-19 issue has, has, has taken place. One of the challenges that we are seeing with trying to manage suppliers and trying to understand the full footprint of supply chain uh, is, is that it's not as clear on its, on its face as you think it is. Uh, the provenance or the understanding of origins of products and vendors is not a simple task. So if you think about you buy a system, you're using it on the grid, to understand what that vendor, where that vendor is sourcing the end product from, that's relatively straightforward. You can figure out where they have headquarters, where they have um, manufacturing facilities, where they have assembly facilities, you name it, you can figure that out. But what becomes a little bit more challenging is understanding the suppliers of the suppliers. Okay, the fourth party of suppliers is one of the things that we talk about in the security space. So understanding all the components that make up that end product or that end software uh, is challenging. And frankly, um, that is something that industry has been working on, uh, frankly, very aggressively over the last uh, two years. Um, there's been some regulation, at least in the electric power space, that's been, been drafted along those lines. Uh, many folks may be aware of the NERC SIP cybersecurity supply chain security standards that are going into effect on October 1. That's the first foray in this area. And just issued, um, actually, I think, Today, in the last 24 hours, uh, the DOE just announced a request for information uh, for understanding supply chain security challenges and understanding best practices around there. So a lot going on, that's a lot to unpack. Uh, we probably have a whole session just on that one issue alone. I didn't want to make sure that we were, we were aware of some of those newer, newer issues. Thank you so much for that. Mark. Yeah, um, so I, I think the first part of that question just you know, dependence on foreign suppliers. You know, as in our business, we've gone through evaluations prior to COVID to kind of lay out, you know, wh where, where does our strategy, supply chain strategy, allow us from a criticality standpoint to go to foreign suppliers, but then where are parts of our business where we're not gonna do that? And what this time has allowed is, is because some of those foreign supplies have been challenged uh, what we've done is that we've done some reevaluating of, you know, do we need to pull back even more? And, and I'm talking not just our critical supplies, but those that are less critical, but do we even want to be in that position? So again, it's created an opportunity because we've had to, 
to, to really look and reprioritize how we're supplying different things and whether or not we're going foreign or not. Thank you. Todd, do you have something? Yeah, just real quick. I, uh, great points made. Um, I, I, I will add, I mean, although for us, I, I mean, we're certainly seeing some from China in terms of delays, server racks, different things like that. Um, I think that the big impact we've seen is on talent. Interestingly enough, when you think about all this, you think to yourself, oh, okay, this, this world we were in, we were trying to go a thousand miles an hour with our hair on fire, especially when it comes to IT, right? New systems, new processes, new markets, let's all go, let's go, let's go. And then you literally hit the brakes overnight. Um, the chain of hiring people, the chain of bringing people through a process, how do you onboard somebody that's going to get a high level clearance into your business? Well, it used to be they'd walk down the hall, they'd get their badge, and then they would start working on system. That doesn't happen anymore. And so now you've, you've really hit the brakes on a lot of that stuff. So we've had to really look inside and say, what's critical? What's great to have, but we'll, we'll take it as it comes. And what stuff can we actually push off till later? So uh, refreshes, things like that, where it's better to wait and, and see where this thing ends up than trying to do it in an environment and with people that you're just, you don't have the right people uh, to, to, to make the sauce. And so at the end of the day, what you do is you reprioritize and you look at your processes. But we've seen it on the people side um, to where that's really had a, an, an impact on um, how we might be moving some more uh, progressive items on the IT and cyber side forward. So I, I want to follow up on that question, Todd, if you don't mind, and, and I'm hoping that this is still a softball because this is not one that you're expecting. Um, but I, I, I want to just delve a little bit deeper around this idea about talent. And so, right, we've had um, a whole slew of recent graduates and students who are kind of in limbo and, and, and quite frankly, the economy's on a downturn. What would you say to people who may have an interest um, and any of you can answer this, but kind of getting into this industry and particularly around um, energy security and infrastructure and how can they ready for them, themselves for what that next opportunity is? Are there particular um, certificates that they need to have or anything that, you know, that people should be thinking about in terms of how they enter, particularly on the security side in this business? Can I, can I take that, Paula? Sure, please do. Yeah, so I... I think that that's a, a great point and you know we we uh, went through some lots of discussions on our end on are we going to continue our intern programs or early career development we, we pulled back some but we didn't stop it and uh, so what I would say is that there's still a lot of opportunity out there and for those that are interested in security or cyber security uh, or any of our businesses for that matter you know, to, to really learn those, what's going on in those industries, uh, and then, you know, look for the right training opportunities or uh, entry points to get into it, because now is a great time to get that experience that you can build on for better career opportunities when they open up further. Thank you. Gentlemen, yeah, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll just add to that, Mark. I think that that's a great point. And I, I think at, at the same time, our business is changing, right? If you look at the energy business, you can call that gas, electric, water, whatever you want to call it. There's a dynamic shift that's going on, right? And it's not only at the wholesale industrial level, it's at the retail level. Um, and we're seeing a lot more graduates, young individuals that are thinking about energy, but they just don't know quite how to get their hands around it, right? So they're saying, okay, yeah, I, I love getting involved in this and I want to understand it, 
Um, we, we similarly cut back a little bit on our intern program just because, you know, we didn't think we could accommodate as many as we usually do. We're usually around 50. We're about 27, 28 now. The majority of those are IT. Think of data analytics. Think of uh, IT system operations. Think of IT analytics. That's a thing that we're seeing a lot of. And so they've got to understand that as it's going to take our business a little while to shift, we're not exactly the fastest moving humans in the electricity industry, as an example. <laughs> you know, we still have poles that are 100 years old out there. Um, but at the same time, you're really seeing that, that shift to that talent really being needed. So we're going to need it. We're going to want it. It's just you got to make sure that you're asking and thinking about it and also learning more about our business. Um, you know, understanding that if you like renewables, as an example, understand how that fits. It might be a lot about modeling, actually. It might be a lot about systems engineering and planning that gets you to being very connected in and involved in that type of the business. So um, we're seeing a match. We're seeing a need as the industry changes. We have a couple of questions, so I'm going to kind of move off and, and ask some of the questions that we have some um, attendees have asked, if you gentlemen don't mind. Um, and the first one is really about um, apps, right? Things like TikTok or Instagram or whatever that, and what concerns the things that people should be thinking about in terms of how they collect your personal information? Um, are you exposing confidential um, information because you're using these apps? Um, are you exposing your business in some sort of way? Um, and then is there a way for us to combat, combat that, right? What is the advice that you would give folks? Um, because we are in an app world and so, um, probably the advice of don't use TikTok may not necessarily be the right advice. People may not listen to that, but what are some things that we can be doing um, to be more safe as we're using our phones for everything that we do? Yeah, don't use TikTok. Oh, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> the um, the <laughs> my, my immediate knee-jerk response besides that is, uh, you know, not every application is the same. Not every web conference application is the same. Can't, can't nudge, nudge. Um, so the, the concern here is that right now, given that we have such a huge uh, remote workforce, uh, and, you know, my, my colleagues already mentioned it, more diligence, more controls, we're not going to have the same flexibility of bring our own laptop into the VPN day. That's, that's just not going to happen now. Um, you know, we, we're, you know, in the electric power space and the energy industry space, um, those types of cyber risks are just things that we can't tolerate. I mean, we're seeing more um, ransomware uh, concerns now, even, even targeted in the, in the electric power space. And I think a lot of that has to do with is the ubiquitous nature of all of these newer technologies um, being leveraged in the workplace now. So, so while while those technologies have 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 its place, um, this is you know, it's probably not the ideal um, industry for for using some of those technologies for some of the day to day operational needs. Yeah, and Paula, I, th I think too that it's a great opportunity to educate and build awareness with employees around that. You know, some of the things we've done is have, have lunch and learns or, you know, small snippet sessions where you can, you can get more understanding and, and just principles that you can, you know, you can exercise to, to make sure that we're protecting the company as well. And we've just found that education, training, that goes a long way with employees. Okay, thank you. Paula, um, I would just add, you gotta ask the experts, right? If you yeah. try and do this on your own and think, well, I know something about IT, let me figure this out on my, no, 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 no. 
No bueno. No bueno. That's when things start to happen that are not good. So like Mark said, if you have a question, all of us have IT departments that know a hell of a lot more about this than we do. So I, I have called my IT operations center at two in the morning when something has happened on my phone and said, I don't understand this. I just want to make sure that I, you know, is this spam? Is this phishing? What is this? Yeah. And they are happy to take those calls because mm -hmm. A, they're bored at 2 a.m. And B, they like to be challenged, right? If you're in the IT business, challenges all around us. And so they like to see, it's almost like a competition, right? Well, if they're going to try this, we're going to figure out a way to combat that, right? So it's almost like a personal thing to protect your company and, and, and protect the people in it. So I would just say, ask the experts and don't try and do it on your own. So does that mean the experts aren't the Google? Like we should find real experts and not let Google give us all our answers? Yes. Start with that. Yeah. <laughs> I will admit, I like asking the Google. I think the Google knows everything. I ask um, my wife, Paul. I just say, wife, what, what's the answer? That keeps me out of trouble, but it may not keep me out of IT trouble. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, well, you got away. You got away what's more important to you sometimes. Um, let's shift a little bit. Um, so, Mark, let me, let's talk a little bit about the oil and gas sector. Um, you know, and we hear that your sector is not as digitized as other parts of the industry, um, like the generation or electricity transmission. Um, and at the same time, if that's true, the lack of digitization does provide for fewer cyber vulnerabilities. Um, so I guess the question I would have is, does greater di digitization provide greater efficiencies? Um, can it play a significant role in climate mitigation? Um, and what steps are being taken within your sector to more heavily rely on digitization and the internet of things while also avoiding cyber threats? Yeah, that's a, that's a lot there, Paula. It's a mouthful, I know. But uh, I'll, I'll start with a couple of those. You know, I think that, first of all, greater digitization does uh, allow for better efficiency. And so, you know, we need to embrace it. And uh, we've recognized that in our business. And we have invested heavily to, to work towards that. Um, al along that same path is it can create greater vulnerability from a cyber standpoint. And so you have to make sure that you're pursuing both in parallel and that you're, you're putting the right protections in place from a, a cyber standpoint. And some of that will be relying on you know, outside vendors, consultants to help you do that. And so back to Todd's point, you know, don't try and just figure it out yourself, you know, go to the experts, have them do tests, vulnerability tests, that kind of thing to make sure that you have good systems in place as you increase your, uh, your overall digitization. digitization. Um, the, the other thing I'll say is, is uh, Todd mentioned a point around data analytics, just from a people standpoint. And, you know, we are utilizing a lot more around data analytics and will continue to do so in the future in all aspects of our business. And so uh, digital analytics um, or data analytics is a great opportunity uh, to help drive efficiency and performance in your business. Paul, Thank let you. me add something here and, sure. and Mark hit a point. You can pick oil, you can pick gas, you can pick power, you can pick water. What COVID has taught us is that is all critical infrastructure, yeah. right? I tell the story here a lot. My daughter works at Kroger. My son works at Target. They were able to get COVID tests before me because they didn't understand that what we did was critical infrastructure. 
but toilet paper was pretty critical infrastructure, I guess. Um, so anytime you're looking at any of these businesses, we need to do a better job of ed educating them about what we do and, and understanding the role that we play in the industry's critical infrastructure. MISO can't exist without natural gas. A natural gas pipeline can't go without electricity. So we're interdependent on each other. And the more we communicate with each other, especially in times of crisis, the better off we're all going to be. Um, but if there's anything that I've learned from COVID is people need to understand your role and your function in that um, in order to, to, to really get an appreciation for, you know, I, I remember having conversations with governors and, and mayors and legislators and they say, well, I'm not quite sure what you're doing is important as X, Y, and Z. And I would say, well, that's great, but how does a hospital run, right? right. How do they get natural gas into their boilers to actually heat the hospital? We may want to figure that out. So there's some education that needs to happen here in terms of our role in critical infrastructure in the U.S. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I think, too, these, uh, these industry-type sessions like this one, you know, we've been participating a lot more in these sessions over this COVID period, and we've learned a lot more around our just interconnects with other businesses and the issues that they're facing as well as them learning what we're facing. And I, I think it's helped us back to reliability. It, it's going to help us be more reliable going forward. So, so is it um, okay to then say, Mark, that there's probably a lot that within our industry and in across sectors we can learn from one another as it relates to cyber? Threats. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, in, in some of these industry groups, I know for us in the Gas Processing Association uh, or in INGA or in API, there's a lot of discussions around cybersecurity, but absolutely we can learn a lot from each other because there's some industries that may be ahead of us. There also may be some that uh, are behind us. I kind of see it a lot like safety where you know, it really is something that we need to be sharing freely in the industry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Tobias, um, in January of this year, which feels like it was four years ago, but actually only <laughs> six, seven months ago, um, a private security firm issued a cyber threat assessment that included the North American electric sector. And in that assessment, they said that the potential risk resulting from a cyber event on our electric sector is high. So can you just share with us, what does that mean when they say that the threat is high? Um, and then how does the industry respond to that? How should the industry respond to that? Um, well, it's high because the impact is high. Okay. Okay. So a, a cybersecurity incident that impacts the grid was going to have a tremendous amount of impact downstream to other critical infrastructure. So we talked about that. So that's, that's one aspect. Uh, the, the, the other part that I think is important, it's, it's a, more of a subtle idea, is there's only a handful of technology companies and vendor products that are used on the grid. So, uh, you know, we talked about the cyber, the, the, the supply chain security vulnerability. And once you combine, combine, compound, excuse me, that supply chain challenge with a limited number of suppliers, you have a common mode threat or common mode vulnerability. Meaning if a bad guy were to uh, compromise a particular system, say at a power plant or a substation, at the supplier side, and then downstream from that, anywhere that that system may reside within the grid, that particular exploit could take effect, that could have a very uh, potential 
potentially damaging impact could create. So, so I think that's what's being recognized now is that given that we're starting to see more nation state um, actors involved, uh, you know, we're more concerned about suppliers and vendors than ever. And also, you know, it's not like we can go out and invent another major global uh, <laughs> supplier of, of relays overnight. There's only so many of those companies out there. So, so I think that's probably what you're seeing as it relates to that risk assessment. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna follow up with you, Tobias, with a, a question that we have here that's asking, right, so are there opportunities to kind of improve the technology that addresses cybersecurity? I believe so. I mean, there, there is, um, obviously, there's quite a few um, areas of focus. One is uh, developing standards, and the, the, stand, the, the industry has had uh, a set of standards in place, at least in the electric, electric power side, for over, about a decade now, called the Critical Infrastructure Protection Standard. So that kind of creates the floor or the, or the baseline. Um, also, though, what we're starting to see is technologies emerge. You know, the SIP standards were initially contemplated on technologies that were used maybe, you know, 10 years ago, roughly, uh, recognizing that we can't always address cybersecurity risk with new standards that take, you know, a couple, two or three years to get implemented, because by the time you, you, you get to that point, technology has shifted, and maybe you need to look at the, the standard development process again. So there is some, some focus now on creating, creating incentives, which is not to dictate what should be done, but to allow for more creative, um, explorative, explorative uses of technologies uh, to, to address things that not, might not already been contemplated uh, by the standards. And this will allow for newer technologies that are emerging. Um, one of those things we don't see a tremendous amount in today's um, power grid environment is cloud technology. Now, cloud has a whole bunch of challenges with it. I'm not saying that that is the end all be all by any, any stretch of imagination, but at the same time, it offers quite a few strengths in terms of you know, potential lower, lower costs and a way to centralize some of your security controls and security mechanisms. Now, that's something that's not been fully adopted yet. Our standards have made that relatively difficult, but having a more incentive-based uh, program uh, that allows for companies to figure out more creative ways to exploit opportunities uh, in technology, I think is, is a way that we should pursue. So I'm gonna ask you one more question as a follow-up, and I'm hoping that I have my facts wrong, but correct me if, I'm, if I don't. Um, several years ago, you know, we heard about a disruption at Target um, where someone was able to capture all the information of folks who had shopped at Target. Um, and as I understand it, and this is the part I need you to correct me if that's if this is if I'm incorrect, is that you know they were able to actually get in um, through a third party, right? So through a HVAC vendor or somebody else who was providing a service to a target, and they were then able to use that system to kind of get break into the target system. Um, so my, my question is, if if I'm accurate, is that so? What do companies do, right? Um, our, our, our companies work with lots of different vendors and lots of suppliers who support some very large and some small. Um, and so how do we help those small businesses in particular um, to be protected so that they are not opening up the company to a risk? Well, there's different layers to that. Um, so if you're a smaller company, obviously any type of cybersecurity incident could be, have a dramatic, dramatic impact to your bottom line as a company. They have ransomware, phishing, all types of exposures. That could be an end of, end of life overnight for that particular business with, with their own type of cybersecurity uh, uh, incident. 
but also those companies, those smaller vendors, those, those third-party companies need to recognize where they fit in the full supply chain, within the grid supply chain that we talked about, the electric power sector, uh, and recognize that they have some potentially upstream impacts that they, that could, they could expose their partners to. So typically what you'd like to see um, is some level of transparency at the terms and conditions level, uh, service level agreements between your organization and third-party organization that you're working with. That'll at least address some of those concerns from a, from a legal and policy perspective. But then you want to implement, you want to follow that up with, with processes and technology. Um, so the best point is, is, you know, from a security perspective is trust, uh, uh, but verify. And there's a ton of controls out there that, that will provide that, that level of visibility so that you can have a little bit more certainty with the third parties that you're working with. Also, you can have means to kind of safeguard your own risk from those, those downstream vulnerabilities. Uh, hey, Paula, can I just add? Uh, yes, please. Tobias, you know, Tobias made a, a point around, you know, just, just looking at those different third parties and, you know, really their level of vulnerability. And I think that uh, what, what we've developed is really a way to assess those third parties um, to, to really do a assurance or trust but verify assessment uh, before we bring on that third party because they do critical business for us. And then from there, determine what access level, whether you're going to do through that through some type of a window like Citrix or whether you're going to do VPN access uh, and you know, make that determination based upon that vulnerability assessment up front. Yeah, Paul, I'll just add one thing to that. I think the reality is, is how we contract and how we actually organize our business has to change, right? Mm -hmm. In reality, it's less, it's, it's important to, to be prudent with dollars, but at the same time now, you need to understand how these systems fit into your current systems. Because if you take them and you approach them as one-off, every system now got because of this cloud could have an impact potentially, right? And so you got to make sure that even if it's a, $50,000 uh, customer survey system, it's in the circle with a whole lot of other critical systems. And so now that $50,000 may not seem like a lot of money, but from an IT and a cyber perspective, it has the same weight as something that's going to have access to your systems that costs $5 million. And so now you've got to have IT right next to your finance and procurement folks negotiating and looking at those systems and how all those things interconnect. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is you got to make sure your base systems are strong. We, we've had so many instances where vendors have come in and they found issues on their systems. We've gone in and done our diagnostics and said, okay, well, that couldn't happen here and here's why. So at the end of the day, you're right. You can't control all the vendors. What you can control there, though, is your sphere of influence and, and your business continuity exercises. If everybody does that well, then we don't have any issues. Um, but make sure you, your home is, is the strongest first. So I have a follow-up for you, Todd, and, and Mark, actually for both of you, um, because like, you know, what we know is that for most of our companies, if not all of them, when you're doing business with um, a particular vendor, safety is always a priority in our industry. Um, and sometimes we may choose a vendor or not choose a vendor based on their safety record. Um, is cyber going to be one of those areas where you may look at with those vendors that you engage with that, okay, I need to understand how you're looking at um, your infrastructure and security in terms of your IT systems um, and that sort of thing. What do you guys think? It's already there. Is Tobias there? made a great point, which is, listen, this is not a universe of millions of companies. 
when you're talking about electricity or gas in terms of those systems that we're all using, you're going to run into a dozen vendors, maybe 15 to 20 vendors that everybody's using because our, our business is not, you know, it's big, but it's not as big as some, a lot of other, you know, it's not consumer necessarily in the hundreds of millions of people type of thing. So we tend to run into 12 to 15 common vendors. And so we're already seeing that Paula, where we're, we'll have vendors come in and we'll just like, listen, we've heard about issues, right? I mean, our, ours is independent system operators. We work with all of our co other system operators and we have big it groups that get together and we talk all the time about, Hey, listen, I'm not sure you want to use these guys because here's the five issues we had. Um, and, and that's now got to be a bigger piece of the conversations that we're having. Yeah, I'm glad just building on that, uh, Paul, I'm really glad you mentioned the safety because it really is very much like that. You know, it, it, it's all about risk. And so just like we do when we bring certain contractors in, we evaluate them from a safety standpoint and we risk rank them. It doesn't mean that we won't use them if they're yellow or red, but what it does mean is that we have to up our level of, of uh, risk mitigation, if you will. The same would apply on the third party that, you know, we put them in that trust but verify risk risk categorization and then we determine what what action we need to have around them or they need to take to to help lower that risk right thank you so much so we have a question here from one of our um, attendees that i'd like to ask and it says followed um, with covid 19 demand for certain products or services has decreased um, we can think of transportation as a service with a decreased demand um, internet service demand um, can be seen as a service with an increased demand. Um, the question is, given that supply is limited, how um, does the increase in demand in the cyber arena, um, if at all, been affected on um, women? How has, how has the increase in demand in the cyber arena um, affected the reliability, res resiliency, or security of a highly internet-dependent utility company? That's a lot. Mm. Who wants well, to take it? <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, I'll try to I'll try to start with that. Um, so there's a couple things there. You know, given that there's more uh, employees working from home, that there means that there's less employees working at factories and, and other facilities. So that's shifting sort of what our demand looks like from an energy usage perspective. Uh, I'm not saying it's going up or down. I'm saying it's different now. It's more 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 dispersed. Um, but from a cybersecurity perspective, um, you know, one thing I wanted to say, we talked a little bit about, um, about hiring practices and things that we've seen has changed. We're hiring, by the way, at Fortress. I just want to put that out there. So we've seen a significant uh, uptick uh, in, in cybersecurity skill sets that we're looking for. It's becoming very, very difficult to find because as you can anticipate, with more remote employees, uh, you know, having more, more sound, more effective IT and security professionals uh, is becoming even more of a critical function within our environment. So we're definitely seeing an uptick, much more competitive right now in terms of finding uh, some really sharp gurus in, in the cybersecurity area. But if you are, know a few, definitely let me know. You know, I'll just add a little bit to that. I think on an, another angle, I think it's a it's a chance too that we really need to strengthen our business continuity plans. Uh, you know, prior to this, it's been really important. You know, during COVID and after COVID, it's even going to be more important. And so, 
strengthening those continuity plans with cybersecurity taking a very high priority role is, is going to be critical to our business, you know, because, yeah, we hope we never face anything like COVID again, but we'll face other challenges down the road. And so we need to make sure that we've learned from this and that we've, we've strengthened our systems. Okay. Um, we have a few minutes left, very few, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to try to get in at least two questions, if not three. Um, so the first is um, for you, Mark, um, you know, some say that the oil and gas sector, right, is ahead of utilities when it comes to cyber. Um, and so the question really is, do you think that's true? Um, and if it is, then what is it that the sector, electric sector needs to be doing to kind of catch up? Careful, Mark, I know where you live. So just writing this down. <laughs> well, these are the last questions that we're gonna hop off. I was actually gonna say, I don't know. Okay. I haven't seen those metric comparisons between the two. Uh, but what I can say is that we've had opportunity in our own business to strengthen that. And we've made significant strides over the past few years. And we continue on that course to do that. Um, and we've come a long way. And I have no doubt that, you know, COVID has even further accelerated that and helped us find where there's, there's additional areas of opportunity. Uh, so that, that's where I would focus on. You know, I haven't compared them together and I haven't seen the KPIs that would compare them. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I know for us in the, in the uh, gas industry, uh, we, we've been having that as a very high focus the last few years. Great. Okay, this question is for you, um, Tobias. Um, has the list, and you, you mentioned it, you alluded to them, right? Has the list of four rogue nation states um, remained the same or are there newcomers? And I know you, you didn't want to give us the names before, but so you yeah. were just kind of rattling your head. Are they new people or um, the same folks? Well, you know, I think there's, uh, there's credible reasons why, uh, why we have the four that we have. Okay, um, so that, that's number one. Uh, number two, I would say is that um, any, of any countries that, that have an adversarial relationship with, with the U.S., um, it, you know, the logic is if we have an adversarial relationship with them, why would they be critical in serving services or products to the most sensitive aspects of the grid? That's really the question that's being, being asked at, at higher levels. Um, and, if, and if they are an adversarial country, um, the idea is, well, how, how do we go about finding out uh, whether they can have parts and components that are, that are part of systems that we all do? So that's the diligence that we're, that we're working on. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously there's, there's probably more than four countries, you know, there's more than that. Um, so the point is, is enabling our utilities and our, and our companies to understand, you know, where there could be hostile nation states, where there could be adversarial relationships, and then how do they use that in their procurement process to make sure that they limit their risk uh, from a, from a uh, supplier process. Okay. Todd, Mark, do you want to add anything? I think the only thing I would add there is um, there's never been a more important time to be coordinated. And what I mean by that is think about FBI, DHS, DOE, all of us are all trying to figure out what piece of the pie we have in cyber, and it's not easy. But at the end of the day, that communication and that coordination is what I think is going to make the difference. Um, 
you know, I, I've got a little stat here that just, it, it continues to scare the living nothing out of me, but um, 6.1 billion blocked connections by MISO wow. in one year, 6.1 wow. billion. And that's a 53% increase year on year. Wow. Um, 205 external intelligence items that are received that then have to be evaluated by FBI, DHS, DOE, all of those different things. Um, so we need them, and but they need us. And so it doesn't matter what industry you're from. It doesn't matter what part of this you're talking about. That coordination and communication is, is only going to make us and that critical infrastructure and that business continuity that Mark talked about, it, that's what's going to put all those links together and make that chain strong. Yeah, and I, I would... Uh... I would totally agree. You know, you look at some of that data and it can be very sobering. Um, and so I think that what we got to make sure and do is that we, we don't ever get complacent and think we're good enough. Uh, and don't think that we're in our little box that we know everything, make sure that we're staying well connected with our supply chains, our, our peer companies, and that we're doing everything we can to protect our business, but also the industry. Great. Yeah, Thank Paul, you. if there's one thing we've learned is if you spend all of your time on preparation and no time on recovery, when it yeah. happens, you don't know how to recover. Right. So you have to spend equal times on preparation and equal time on recovery and how you're going to come out of these things. That's how we get past it. Okay. Thank you. And this will be our final question. And of course, we're going to end on a somewhat somber note, I think. Um, and it just says um, a major grid event typically happens every decade. The last one was 2013. Um, so are we getting better or are we overdue? Mr. Hillman? I think we're getting better and we may be overdue all at the same time. Um, I, I'm speaking to you today and, and yesterday we were in emergency energy conditions in two, two thirds of our footprint. Um, the fact is, is the industry's changing and this is when load is down during COVID, right? The fact of the matter is things break uh, circumstances change. There's acts of God that are out there that are always going to impact us. Um, systems get better, but at the same time, uh, the industry is shifting. So um, we do a, a pretty common analysis. That's a one day in 10 years, which is, you know, probably what this person is, is talking about. I, I wish it wouldn't happen. But again, back to preparation and recovery, we're getting ready in the event that those things do happen. It's about analysis. It's about determining what factors in the market are going to impact us there and how we can try to work with our members to get ahead of it. Mark, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I would add that, you know, I think our systems are getting better. You know, I think we're becoming more safe, reliable, and secure. That's not to say that, you know, who, whoever thought that COVID was coming, uh, I don't think any of us did but we have continuity plans. And after going through this, we've realized that we need even better continuity plans for the future. But I would say all in all, we're getting better. Awesome. Um, Tobias, I'll let you have the last word. Simply put, uh, I do agree we are getting better. Uh, unfortunately, the bad guys get better too. So we got to stay ahead of us, step ahead of those guys. That's for sure. Well, with that, I will say um, thank you. And, and I will say that I think if we have the three of you running things, we should be all right. So um, I'm going to put my faith in Todd, Tobias, and Mark. That, that's actually my plan. Um, thank you guys so much for what has been a really great discussion. We are so um, thrilled that you were able to spend some time with us and share your thoughts tonight.